folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory Podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory, and today we're going to talk about Civil War. Woo! Grab your muskets, boys. Wheel in the cannons. It's about to get rowdy in here. That's right. It's time for brother-on-brother action. Oh, man. Seriously, though, uh, looking around, you know, with all the rhetoric ramping up as we enter this this never-ending presidential election cycle that we seem to always be in, um, you got to kind of look around and ask, like, is it possible? Like, people are starting to say some crazy shit. And and we've seen, you know, over the last couple years that things – in some respects are deteriorating as far as, you know, bipartisanship and pulling together and all that good stuff. And there's no question we're starting to see political violence, um, you know, in, in a very extreme fashion. I mean, with the New Zealand shooter, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so So it's, it's hard to look around the landscape as, as the divide is increasing and as partisanship is increasing and, and calls for, um, uh, for, for compromise are shut down. Right. You know, on both sides of the aisle, uh, it's hard not to ask, hey, is this possible? Yeah. So today is largely going to be, you know, kind of like a, a thought experiment. You know, like you said, is it possible? What could it possibly look like? And, and all that stuff. But before we get into that, uh, we want to once again extend a big hearty thank you to all our patrons. Uh, just so you guys know, those those bonus episodes, the bonus content is on its way. It's in the can just yep. being edited. Um. But, you know, that that did bring up an interesting point. With the bonus episodes, we're actually, like, free to kind of break the mold of the types of things that we normally cover here on the show. So we wanted to kick it out to you guys, the, both the patrons and, you know, just the average, average everyday listener. Um, what do you guys want to hear us talk about? You know, whether it's in a bonus episode or on the show proper we want to hear it. We want to. We want to know what you guys want to hear. That's so. right. And if you have any thoughts, uh, go ahead and send them out to us at Sense and Theory Podcast at Gmail We're always listening. We love to receive your emails and feedback. So Absolutely. keep them coming. Yeah, the Reddit, the Twitter. You know, it's all down there in the show notes, like it is every week. So uh, Civil War, though, seriously, that's <laughs> that's what we're talking about today. Well, I think it's important to to really lay out the reasons why we decided it was important to talk about today. I mean, it's something that I feel like we always, it's on the periphery of conversation, but things have, have really ramped up recently. I mean, we're seeing politicians talk about it now, and I think the most recent uh, evidence is Steve King. Oh, good old racist Steve King. <laughs> That's yeah. right, with his deleted Facebook post, and and this was a post with an image of, of two figures fighting, uh, you know, kind of duking it out, one red and, and one blue, um, and they're comprised of the blue states and red states, you know, on yeah. either side. And yeah. uh, the meme says, folks keep talking about another civil war. One side has about eight trillion bullets, while the other side doesn't know which bathroom to use. Uh, and and King captioned this image with a smirking emoji uh, and wonder who would win, he writes. So yeah. um, that's pretty that's pretty worrisome, right? Well, I mean, on one hand, it's it's a it's a Facebook post and it's a Facebook meme. But on the other hand, he's a sitting member of Congress. And I know that, you know, since he he made some racist comments uh, again uh, there a couple months ago, and I think they've stripped him of being on any committees. Good. So he's basically just. He's basically just there, you know, but he does still have a vote. But anytime an elected official or a representative, a politician starts encouraging that sort of rhetoric, then hell yes, it's worrisome. Yeah, you know, it gets I, worrisome. And, and, and the funny thing is, he's kind of right. Like, you know, you think about liberals fighting a civil war, you're the anti-gun guys, you know, eight trillion bullets. And it's funny, but 
that's not what I want my politicians saying. You know, it's yeah, kind of goes no, back that's... to Maxine and, and and inciting this uh this vitriol and stuff. I want my politicians uh to be talking about compromise and coming together. Obviously not compromising yeah. on putting kids in camps, you know. I'm not not one of those centrists like, oh, you're killing people. Let's kill half as many people and that's good. Right. You know, yeah, that's yeah. not what I'm saying. But um generally if our politicians are posting memes about killing each other, yeah. we're in a bad place as yeah. a nation. And it and it doesn't stop with Steve King. Um Trump's kind of violent rhetoric has really ratcheted up lately. Uh, and it's and it's really worrisome to me. Um, he's you know, I'm talking about this quote. He says, I have the support of the police, the support of the military, the support of the bikers for Trump. I have the tough people, but they don't play it tough until they go to a certain point, And then it would be very bad. Very bad. Yeah. And, and to be in context. So when he says until they go to a certain point, he's specifically talking about Democrats. Right. Like he's saying. Uh, you know, I think right before that he had said something like, you know, the Democrats want to play nasty. They want to get tough. And he's saying, well, I've got all the tough guys. And it's like, well, <laughs> I mean, you've got all the tough guys for what? Like when you said playing tough up here, we were talking about them playing hardball with you politically. What do the bikers for Trump have to do with hardball <laughs> with politics, and politics? Right. You know? No, he's he's directly um directly calling for violence from his supporters. And, he, and he's leaving that line open. He's not saying where the line is, he's saying there comes a time when we may get violent. And yeah. you know what? That might be true. But for a president to come out and, and talk like that is, again, it's the opposite thing I want to see from my politicians. I think we ought to be uh, coming together to, 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 to make the divide shallower, to bring yeah. people uh, towards a compromise. This, this kind of trash does not do that. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's a world of difference if, you know, if, say, Beanzo had come out and said this stuff. I mean, he'd, he'd still be an asshole because Beanzo's an asshole and it's an assholeish thing to say, but there's a world different when, it, when it's the president who's supposed to represent everybody in the nation, completely unacceptable. Not to mention he's already being lambasted for, for being a Nazi and a fascist man talking about your supporters getting violent, you know, your <laughs> yeah. biker supporters getting violent with Democrats over some, some line you haven't even drawn yet in the sand. That's pretty fascist, man. Well, to tell you the truth, actually, he is somewhat starting to maybe draw a line. Mm. And, you know, perhaps maybe not the way you mean it. Uh, he also said the Democrats in Congress yesterday were vicious and totally showed their cards for everyone to see. Um, and he was referring to House Democrats launching their broad, you know, scale investigations into him. Uh, he said when the Republicans had the majority, they never acted with such hatred and scorn. Bullshit. Uh, the Dems are trying to win an election in 2020 that they know they cannot legitimately win. Mm. You, you can't do that, man. You can't do that from the White House. Wasn't cool when you were a candidate. You most certainly can't do that when you're sitting in 1600. Right. The candidate. way I see that is he's he's priming his supporters um, to delegitimize election results. And if you have convinced your supporters that there's no way in hell that these Dems can win, and then they do. You've you've been casting doubt the whole time. So now yeah. you've you've primed your bikers, you've primed your people in the military, you've primed your people in the police and said, Hey, it's okay, we've got a line. Yeah. And now you're establishing this line of, you know, well, uh, if they win the election, it's totally illegitimate. Yeah. Uh, you know, these two things well, in combination. And I don't usually go for dog whistles, right? Usually the dog whistling thing. I think I think is, it's important to note about this that he you could you could construe these comments to not mean that he is saying exactly that, right? He could just be bragging. He could be just saying... See, I'm usually no, on board it's, with it's, you. It's, there's no way that he could win, right? 
But no, no, no. And and I don't give, I don't care like why particularly you're not on board on this one because none of it matters when you're the president. It's a different <laughs> set of rules, straight up, straight up and down. You were under a different level of scrutiny and a different set of rules. Rhetorical questions go out the window. You don't hint at shit like this when you're in charge. You right. don't. You just right. don't do it. And, and how could you possibly be a president for the people? How could you possibly be representing the people when when you're when you're talking this way about a tiny sliver of your supporters. I mean, right. obviously, the whole military doesn't support Trump. All the police don't support Trump. I think we read something like 31 percent of, of of the military polled are in support of Trump. Yeah, like, well, the 31 uh, percent of military officers view Trump favorably. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So so you're you're drawing this line in the sand. Um, uh, kind of us versus the world. Right. right. It's it's it's. This is this is the closest thing to dictatorship and fascism that I've seen from Trump so far. Yeah. And and you know, think, there's bits and pieces that have come before and I've gone, "Eh, you know, benefit of the doubt, maybe not, maybe so." If we get any closer, like this starts to get real scary real quick and as yeah. we head towards 2020 and the elections, um I I think everyone should be on their toes. Yeah. I mean, I no, just don't see any way around it. No, it, cer- it certainly warrants watching. I-, I would point out, and this isn't in any way, shape, or form to diminish you know, what Trump's done, but I would also point out that there are pockets of this sort of crazy that are coming from everywhere, mm. right? So, for instance, um, as we record this episode, this is the Sunday right after Mueller turned in his report. Right, and of course he turned it Friday. in on a Friday at 5 p.m., you know, yep. close of business. And, uh, you know, we, we don't know anything about what's inside the report. The only thing that we know at this point is that he said that he doesn't expect any further indictments. Or right. there so will be means, no further indictments from his investigation. That means the Trump family is off the table. You know, there's no for his Trump investigation. Let's, not being investigated. Let's not let's not even jump into all that. But here's the thing. <laughs> so there's this popular Twitter personality who, uh, you know, in some respects is a bit of a joke, but at the same time, he's got a large following. I, in in a sense, I liken him to Q. He's not, you know, he's not batshit crazy like some of the Q stuff in my estimation. But he's as fervent and silly as as it gets. You okay. Know? Uh, his name is Seth Abramson, and he's been on top of this, you know, Russian collusion narrative ever since it come out. He drops these huge Twitter posts and stuff. So he's got a lot vested in the Mueller investigation indicting Trump or something, which is what he's been saying for two years. Right. Right. So he drops a tweet, a series of tweets that night. They kind of lead out like this. He's he's like, does this sound like Mueller to anyone? Not to me. He's like, Mueller told Corsi he'd indict him if he didn't cut a deal. Mueller explained to Corsi both the indictment and the deal. Corsi gave Mueller the middle finger, and he did it on YouTube, and Mueller didn't indict Corsi. So basically he's saying that Mueller is acting suspiciously now all of a sudden. Now all of a sudden he's worried about the way Mueller's acting. And he says... My point here is that none of the noise tonight matters. What matters is that experts in the case, in law and in criminal investigation, have no earthly idea how the public speculation that Trump, the Trump administration and Trump family dodged all bullets could possibly be correct. So what, what he's basically saying is if there is no indictment for Russian collusion, we've been had. Right. We know, we know it happened. It, uh, damn what the Mueller report says. Uh, you know, he's, he's been gotten, he's been gotten to. Right. And, and, and don't get me wrong. Like there's a, there's a world difference between Seth Abramson and however many people follow him on Twitter and the, and the president, right. You know, the president I hold again to a much sure. higher standard and whatnot at the same time, like 
all these resistance people on Twitter who are so, you know, just vested in this Mueller investigation, you come out and start saying stuff like this. If you're not willing to accept the reality that, that, you know, if you're not willing to accept the truth, whatever it may have in store for you. Yeah. Then you start doing that same, you start having that same effect on the other side. Like, see, it's, it's rigged against us. There's nothing we can do. It's, it's time to take up arms. Like you start ratcheting up that. Well, and that's when things get really dangerous, right? Is it when all hope is lost? Right. And if you've placed your faith in, in our institutions to, to faithfully investigate and, 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 you know, create justice, Mm -hmm. um, and those institutions are, are wholly failing us. If you believe that, that Trump was hand in hand with Putin to steal this election. And now Mueller is saying, nah, it didn't happen. You know, and in your head, you still know it happens. Like that's a, that's a bad place to be, man. Right. Right. It's, it's one step from there to like, well, forget it. We got to do something, you know what I'm saying? To arms, to arms, let's go, you know, bring the klaxons. No, that's, and I think that's absolutely, you know, where they've gotten. And I think, unfortunately, again, we have no idea what's going to happen with Mueller and everything, but people are so invested in this that you could you could have the entire FBI and the CIA and stuff come out and just drop investigation after investigation and say it's one way or the other, one way or the other, okay? I'm saying both sides here. And neither side would buy it. Right. And that's that's terrifying. Yeah, that's it scary really is. Right now. Um, I, what also scares me is we've got uh, national news media engaging in this, this Civil War discussion. WAPO uh, dropped an article March 2nd uh, titled "In America, Talk Turns to Something Not Spoken of for 150 Years: Civil War." And a few quotes from that article, just to put this thing in perspective. Uh, first came former U.S. Attorney Joseph D. Genova, a Fox News regular and ally of President Trump's. "Quote: We are in a civil war. The suggestion that there's ever going to be civil discourse in this country for the foreseeable future is over. It's going to be total war." And then Cohen to a congressional committee. Given my experience working for Mr. Trump, I fear that if he loses the election in 2020, that there will never be a peaceful transition of power. Um, the article goes on. It's interesting to talk about a study that shows how like hyper extreme messaging could actually cause people to pull back from like the brink of extreme positions. Like the mm-hmm. idea is that they see how extreme their position can get. Yeah. Once they see the ugliness laid bare. Right. Yeah. They, and then and they back off from it. Uh, which would be great, but the study they reference also found that if the extreme messages become a normal part of the political debate, that moderating effect disappears entirely. Mm. And honestly, man, you can't look at either side and see a shortage of dehumanizing messages. Right, They're right. all over the place. I mean, that's pretty much it. You're you're a deplorable or you're a libtard snowflake, man. Yeah. No, and I think part of it is what led, you know, Joseph, what was it, De Genova? To make that comment to begin with, it's that that 24-hour news cycle, man. Like, dude, we're not at Civil War. Like, you know we're not at Civil War. Like, why would you say that? And it's because they're filling time. Or, you know, in some some places, like Steve King and Donald Trump, maybe the purpose is more sinister. But what I'm saying is even people who don't have that sinister intention are, you know— plopped on these news shows on CNN, on Fox, on MSNBC and stuff, and and they got to say something— and they've also got to keep eyeballs on the screen and stuff. So they're, they're talking breathlessly about all this stuff. And it's just. You think you think Civil War is like if it bleeds, it leads. So they're up there like saying the most extreme oh, stuff. Yeah, you don't absolutely. think he actually I mean, believes it? I mean, I mean what, do, what do you think Maddow's been doing with the Russia investigation the whole time? Fair enough. It's, it's just a horse of a different color. You know what I mean? She's not she's not saying Civil War necessarily, but that's that's, you know, present 
that's that's the boogeyman in the background of everything that she's talking about. You well, know at what the mean? same time, you got Cohen, you know, who is arguably pretty darn close to Trump. Yeah, saying like he can't see him uh, transitioning power peacefully in the event of yeah. a loss. You've got Trump's rhetoric, so I don't think it's that <laughs> that crazy, that extreme to say like, now nah, we're in the beginnings of a civil war, like. The lines have been drawn. The sides have been designated. The only thing left is is some major act, you know, some Reichstag fire uh, to to set things off and set things into motion. I'm not I'm not so sure, but that is something that we are going to get into at length later on in the episode. Another thing uh, that is worth mentioning, as far as rationing, you know, I think before we've talked about you know lobsters in the water and the heat slowly increasing and mm. stuff. Uh, you can't you can't ignore entirely q you can't oh absolutely not. i mean it's it's present um it's funny because every now and again i check in on the q threads and the q posters on twitter um just to see what's going on and the other day i came across a thread that just kind of kind of floored me and had me going like this is really where these people are at um and he's and and q is constantly since the beginning has messaged about a a deep state shadow government that's that's taken over the United States, right? And is running things in secret, um, you know, in the interest of of swamp creatures and and not in the interest of American people. So that already is kind of priming people mm-hmm. um to to not trust the government and and it's totally for Trump, you know, yeah. as if Trump is not one of these swamp creatures, you know. Right, right. Um so a few messages uh in this thread kind of had me scratching my head going, what's going on here? So from February 21st uh, of 2018, this is kind of way back, um, Q posts the definition of a patriot and a traitor. You know, a patriot, a person who loves, supports, defends his or her country and its interests with devotion. A person who regards himself or herself as a defender, especially of individual rights against presumed interference by the federal government. And the definition of traitor, a person who betrays another, a cause or any trust, or a person who commits treason by betraying his or her country. Um and I think to put that in context, that's that's pretty harmless on its own. Yes. Yeah, um, but the message might even be like the Webster's definitions. I'm not sure. It, it continues. We, you know, we've got another post. Patriots are united in their pursuit of common goals. Good versus evil. Right versus wrong. Humanity. Power over another person is not OK. Patriots are not divided. Borders do not separate us. We fight together. We are strong together, we the people, WWG1WGA, which is where we go one, we go all, signed Q. Uh, Another post, and this was from November 6th, 2018, uh, the entire world is watching. Patriots from around the world are praying for America. We're all bound by a feeling deep inside, a feeling that cannot be publicly expressed for fear of ridicule, a feeling that challenges the mainstream narrative against that which we are told to accept and dare not question. Put simply, that people are being abused by those in power and time is running out. Remember the battles of Lexington and Concord. Give me liberty or give me death. For far too long we've been silent and allowed our bands of strength that we once formed to defend freedom and liberty to deteriorate. We became divided. We became weak. We elected traitors to govern us. We allowed evil to prey on us. Those who claimed to represent us gave us false hope, made false promises, the evil and corruption only grew. And and what strikes me about this messaging is the clear delineation between one side, one political side being good, 
mm-hmm. and the other political side being evil. And and granted, that's something people have always kind of held that belief, but now that's I feel like that's becoming the mainstream. Um, and yeah. and when we go there, when we fail to recognize um, that that the other side may very well be acting in good faith. They may just disagree with you on principles, on 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 the practicalities of the situation. Then we're in a real dangerous place because all of a sudden you're you're evil. And what is evil to serve? It deserves to be smited. Yeah. You know, it, it ended. There's no tolerance for evil. It's the same thing we're doing by calling uh Republicans Nazis. You know, yeah. you are putting them in this evil camp. Well, of course we want to extinguish the Nazis. We already did. Yeah. You know, we banded together as a world to squash them violently, and we would again. Right. And we should. But, but this to me is calling, it's calling Elizabeth Warren evil. It's calling Bernie Sanders evil. It's calling Kamala Harris evil. It's saying, if you are on the Republican side, you're good. If you're on the Democrat side, you're evil. And that's dare. It's dangerous. It's scary. No, that's, that's always been like an elephant in the room whenever we're talking about political discussions. I mean, I would even, as you know, as you well know, we've argued many a times, I would argue that some of the rhetoric against the rich is kind of, is getting to that same level and stuff. But this this isn't implied. This isn't, you know, read between the lines. This is a, a full-throated embrace of that principle. The other side is evil. The other side, and, and I believe when we had Vlad back on, you know, on back during our episode where we talked about you, that was, you know, one of the questions we posed to him. It's like, well, you've just, you've just pretty much laid out, you know, he had some Q post or referenced some Q post. I was like, you just pretty much laid out the Democratic Party platform. Right. And then told me it's evil. Right. You know, so, I mean, it gets you to a place where it becomes a lot easier to take that extraordinary step of taking up arms against your fellow citizens. Right. Well, it becomes a lot easier when you when you see on the news, you know, 20 people were killed in a, you know, in a insurgent strike makes mm-hmm. it that much easier to turn your head to right. look the other way. You know, right. ah, they're they're evil commies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they hate white people or uh, they, they want to destroy everything good about America. Uh, yeah. Once you once you establish that good versus evil dichotomy, a lot of really nasty things become real easy to do. And and they're actually they're happening. I mean, we're talking about rhetoric, but we are seeing rises in violence and violent incidents uh, in its annual report on extremist related killings in the U.S. The ADL or the Anti-Defamation League, uh, their center on extremism reported that at least 50 people were killed by extremists in 2018, including the 11 individuals killed in the fatal anti-Semitic attack at the Tree of Life Synagogue. Um, that tally is a 35% increase from the 37 extremist-related murders in 2017. And that makes 2018 the fourth deadliest year on record for domestic extremist-related killings since 1970. Yeah. So it's, I mean, we're talking about 50 killings, and, I, and I'm not trying to you know, minimize it, but you know, it is, it's 50 deaths. But it's rising. And, you know, there's also been a recent report granted by the Southern Poverty Law Center, but of a vast increase in the amount of right wing hate groups. Right. So, I mean, we're, we're starting to see these things kind of coalesce and perhaps they came to a head there in Christchurch, New Zealand uh, a couple weeks ago. Absolutely. Um, it was a March 15th. A 28 year old white supremacist attacked a mosque, killing 50 and injuring 50 more. Um, he left a manifesto behind. And within the manifesto are several anti-immigrant sentiments. Uh, he has, you know, hate speech and all of it against migrants. Oh, absolutely. White supremacist it, it, rhetoric. And I read it, which uh, 
you know, in New Zealand, I would be put in prison for 10 years now for possessing the manifesto. I did download it and read it. And and he, he lays out the case that, uh, you know, white people are being erased uh, via immigration. Our birth rate is low um, and, and we're, you know, importing brown people that are threatening uh, the white way of life. And, and hooey on that, yeah. uh, you know, horse shit on that. But here we have a guy who believes this yeah. killing people. Right. Uh, and, and actually in the name of his beliefs. Well, and what's even more frightening is in that manifesto, at least to me is more frightening. Um, he expressly says that he's seeking to exploit the ever growing divide between the left and the right in America. In fact, he, I believe he said he did the attack in hopes that, or at least partially in hopes that the left here in America would, you know, come clamp down on guns and then that would piss off the right. So now... No, he expressly said he wanted to start a civil war. Yeah. He said that was his idea, was that a civil war would be created when the left reactionary, you know, clamps down on gun rights and and the right goes, whoa, hold on. Uh, You know, he's hoping that that this attack divides us. And look what happened in New Zealand, you know, over the weekend, banned assault rifles um, and then... And then later banned the possession of this manifesto, which is which is I don't want to get into the the details necessarily on the show, but th- that's scary to me too. Like all of a sudden you can't read, so we can't read that that manifesto in New Zealand, and then and then talk about what it means. We can't talk about how terrible of an idea that is because you can't even read the ideas to yeah. to to and to dissent against them. Not to mention that that in a world where you can't read this manifesto. The, the powers that be can say anything they want about it. Right. They can say whatever they want and, 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 and you can't deny it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? There's no attack but against it. I'm going to circle back to though. What's, what's most disconcerting about that to me is that this divide is so prevalent. It's so well known that it's actually being attacked itself. Now it's, it's seen as a pressure point that can be, uh, you know, you can apply pressure to it and see what you can make snap and break. Right. And so if we start seeing a rash of attacks, that are actually targeting that divide, trying to to magnify that flaw. Then I, you know, I don't well, know how long we can withstand that sort of assault. It's the same thing that that the Russians did, right? They saw this divide growing, and and we know report after report has said that the the propaganda that Russia put on social media, et cetera, et cetera, was designed to grow that divide from either side. Yeah. Um, you know, targeted towards Democrats and targeted towards Republicans. It was inflammatory. Um, and, and trying to get people to, to react. Yeah. Know? Cause I mean, in fairness, we, before all this, before, you know, even with, with Russia and, and, you know, who knows when that started and the right wing attacks, you know, granted they go back years and stuff. But what I'm saying is over the last 10 years, we were, we were ramping up anyway with sure. the punching of Nazis and Antifa and the proud boys and all this the shit. The abortion debate that's even. been swirling around and, and baby you know, killers and- going back to, I don't know when. So it really does leave us at a place where we have to start seriously entertaining the idea that there could be some form of civil war. And, and that, that scares me as a, as a podcast host who I, you know, I feel it's our responsibility to kind of report on the state of the world as we see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's part of me that kind of fears talking about civil war. Like, is it even okay to talk about? Is it okay to have that conversation, you know, outside of a hypothetical? Yeah. Um, as we are, you know, as I see it, we are inching closer and closer towards the point where where violence becomes wide scale. We ought to be having conversations about where we fall on the spectrum. Um, and, and, you know, when the where that line is for us and when the time comes 
Like, what do we do? And it, and it scares me to have that conversation. Well, I mean, I, I don't think there's there's anything preventing us from having that conversation necessarily. There are some there are some moral factors that you know we have to keep in mind. Like, are you actually also adding to the pressure on that breaking point in the conversation that you're having for us is a concern because you know we're, we're we're not just having this conversation at somebody's house. We're having it hopefully for thousands upon thousands of <laughs> listeners here. But, uh, you know, that is one consideration. But I think, you know, as you said, we do talk about it hypothetically all the time. It's, it's central to the debates that we have over the Second Amendment. And I would also say that it's heavily implied, uh, you know, in a show like Doomsday Preppers. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> I, you know, the zombie outbreak be damned. I think that's what we're talking about there. You know yeah, what I mean? Fair so, enough. so um, but again, you know, should, should the government be talking about it? No, no, never. There's never a proper time for that to happen. Where where you get into dicey territory is when you the more specific you get. Right. There's right? there's a line between uh between treason and the implied obligations of the Declaration of Independence who say that, you know, we are dutifully bound to overthrow a government that that becomes tyrannous right. that no longer represents the people. There's yeah. there's a line there. Yeah. You know? And that, and that's and I mean that's that's the tricky part, right? Because I mean every revolution is treason. You know what I'm saying? Now now no match no matter how much we want to, you know, uh believe in it and support the cause and everything like that, the American Revolution, for instance, was absolutely treasonous <laughs> behavior of British subjects. Sure, you know sure. what I mean? So, you know, there's actually some interesting quotes. Uh, what is it? Alexander Dumas. He said, the difference between treason and patriotism is only a matter of dates. <laughs> and, and I also remember, uh, what is it? Benjamin Franklin. This is one of my favorite quotes during the revolution. He said, uh, we must indeed all hang together or most assuredly we shall all hang separately. Mm. Like that is, that is something that, that you go into, uh, you know, a revolution or a civil war or, you know, any kind of thing like that. And it's just kind of part of the baggage. Like you, you are engaging in treasonous behavior. And if you're not right, if you don't come through on this thing, those are the stakes. Right. So you are in a sense free to start talking about like specifics. Should that need arise? Do you feel like it? I think like the American identity kind of encourages that, you know? But at the same time, just understand what the consequences are if you're wrong. Right. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, fair enough. Um, so like I, you know, when I think about it. And I'm thinking about this line and how fine it is and, and how we're all kind of walking it right now. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, you know, I wonder, like, would I ever be in support of, say, locking someone up for, for talking about, um, you know, violently overthrowing the government? Is there is there a point it gets to that to you where, like, nah, son, you know, put him in jail? Well, I think it completely depends on the government, right? So, for instance, um, if we have something that looks like Nazi Germany in the, in office, you're never going to have a problem with people speaking out against the government. Right. Right. Okay. But what if we have a government that's completely fine and it's the people who want to turn it into Nazi Germany who are talking about overthrowing the government. Right. Mm. Then it, then it gets a little dicier. Right. <laughs> right. So we've got, we've got like a Warren presidency in 2020 and and white nationalists are are you know fomenting violent attacks yeah, against do, the government. Do you see yourself shedding tears when that stuff starts getting <laughs> broke up? You know, that's a really good point. Yeah, I'm 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 sure I would have no problem with a government that I supported in power 
uh, you know, locking up people who were planning to violently <laughs> overthrow it. You know, like yeah. you planned a bombing against the House of Representatives. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that largely that is the that is the line. And you you say largely, but there is a legitimate line that the Supreme Court has drawn in the sand here, correct? Yeah, like, yeah. This well, has been discussed and and codified. Well, that's the thing. Like this isn't you know. This is this is not just a struggle for two middling podcast hosts. Like the country has been, you know, racked with trying to figure this thing out exactly ever since our founding. The the Alien and Sedition Acts back in 1798, you know what I'm saying? Like there's there's been a series of laws against like sedition and treason and stuff. And then invariably they get thrown up to the courts and the courts have to so probably the best example is we had passed the Smith Act back in 1940 that set criminal penalties for advocating the overthrow of the U.S. government by force or violence. Well, what happens is, is in the 50s, with all the communist hysteria, you start to get these cases where communists are saying, hey, we've got to cast off the shackles of, you know, the bourgeois and, and right. all that stuff. Um, so are they not, in fact, advocating for the overthrow of the government? And so they're getting, you know, Basically, the government started using it as a club to go through and bust up all these, you know, communist organizations and stuff. And so finally, a case comes before the Supreme Court in 1957 called Yates versus the United States. And you had 14 low level officials of the California Communist Party that were had been charged under the Smith Act. The Supreme Court ruled six to one um, to overturn their convictions. It construed the Smith Act narrowly stating that the term organized meant to form an organization, not to take action on behalf of an organization. So, and I, court, I, lo I love this, like, yeah. the irony that it's, that it's a common, you know, the red scare. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you the, know, at this point, we're talking about the reds overthrowing the government. Right. right and right. the Supreme court sides on behalf of the commies. I love yeah. it. I, yeah. I do. No, see the court ruled that the Smith Act did not prohibit, quote, advocacy of forcible overthrow of the government as an abstract doctrine. And that's the key. Like, it's okay for us to say, hey, the government needs to be overthrown. The government's fucking up. And I think that that's, that's, again, central to who we are as America. That's where our country came from. Right. Right? It's casting off the yoke of oppression. <laughs> that's right. So, of course, we're okay with entertaining the thought. Where you cross a line is when you say, let's do it Friday. And that's an important distinction to make. Hugo Black, who is one of my all-time favorite Supreme Court justices, and I, I implore you guys, if you ever read about a, a justice, read about Hugo Black. But he, in the opinion on this, he wrote, Doubtlessly, dictators have to stamp out causes and beliefs which they deem subversive to their evil regimes. But governmental suppression of causes and beliefs seems to me to be the very antithesis of what our Constitution stands for. The choice expressed in the First Amendment in favor of free expression was made against a turbulent background by men such as Jefferson, Madison, and Mason, men who believed that loyalty to the provisions of this amendment was the best way to assure a long life for this new nation and its government. The First Amendment provides the only kind of security system that can preserve a free government, one that leaves the way wide open for people to favor, discuss, advocate, or incite causes and doctrines, however obnoxious and antagonistic such views may be to the rest of us. And that's, you know, that strikes right at the heart of it. Like, you, you have to be able to do that in a healthy, functioning democracy. You have to be able to remind politicians 
that we will take the keys back to this summer. Right, the pitchforks and torches right. may come out, or <laughs> the know? AR-15s if we're still able to to to, to have them. You right. Know? So that, that that very much so is the dividing line. It's okay to talk about it if you start setting dates or start actually building the bomb, then we have an issue. Right, and that makes perfect sense to me because you you can't very well say, uh, you know, we can't put you in jail for for bombing. You know, right, <laughs> the houses right, of right. Congress, like yeah, it, yeah. it still has to be against the law here. Right. Um, but but the idea uh, is still protected and the conversation around it is still protected. And luckily we have those protections. We're able to have this conversation today, you know, right, right, on the right. air. I think it's great. Um, what scares me and is all the things we talk about on this show, right? Like the surveillance state increasing, um, taking taking away the guns. What What scares me is that this power is now squarely in the hands of of whatever gum, government is incumbent, right? So mm-hmm. uh, satellite surveillance, not off the table. Uh, iPhones, uh, anything you say online, anything you type out in a Gmail to someone. Speaking of Gmail, you've got, you know, the largest uh, information countries on the planet engaging in contracts with the NSA and the CIA. Um, obviously, these three-letter agencies will be in no small part involved if we do get into a civil war. If right. Google's got, you know, billions of dollars on the line with the CIA, um, I don't think there's any question where those cards, you know, what side of the line those cards are going to fall. If right, the CIA right. wants Gmail to turn over, you know, XYZ, they're probably going to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Apple Apple stood up against the government said, hey, we're not forking over our encryption keys. Well, they didn't have an eight billion dollar contract with with the yeah. NSA. Well, you know? and it'd also be really interesting to see if Apple maintains that position when there's an open rebellion ongoing. Sure, you know what I mean. Like when when you have that that national security threat justification to come at Apple and be like you're endangering lives. That's you know right. I mean? And and my fear is that like if Trump goes full on right wing dictator, uh, and we've got Duterte style death squads executing civilians in the streets uh, with no trial, like. I'm going to hope that people are making plots and plans, Um, but God, how do we do it in this new world where the very government we're fighting against has all of this surveillance power? Like that shit goes out the window, man. Yeah. Well, you know, in talking about this, one of the, one of the interesting points, and I think it's, it's best illustrated, you know, using the whole conversation about guns is that oftentimes when people defend the second amendment or whatever, They'll say, well, you know, we have to have guns in order to resist tyranny, to resist the exact things that you're talking about. And that gets brushed off. It gets brushed aside. Well, people say you'll never say, fight against the government. Yeah, you'll yeah. Never, you know, you'll you'll never what are you going to do against tanks with an AR-15? You right. know what I mean? And so what's interesting, though, is that that informs that, that belief that the government may one day become, you know, tyrannous or, you know, send, try to send us all to camps. That belief is what informs my support for almost the entire Bill of Rights, Ah. right? Like when I look at the Bill of Rights, that's exactly what I have in mind. I think some of the opposition, uh, you know, or, you know, people in favor of gun control will say, I think that they view the Bill of Rights as rights that are inherent to people, that that in order for a person to have dignity, they shouldn't be unreasonably searched. Uh Uh-huh. Where I, I acknowledge those needs, right? And I acknowledge that that's part of where those rights come from. But I also view it, you know, hardcore in when these guys wrote this document, they were like, this is what allows, this is what allowed us to rebel against this government. These are the rights that the people need to have. And so when you look at a right like the Second Amendment 
and you, you look at it in the context of things that give people dignity, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when you look at it in a context of things that help us resist tyranny, it makes perfect sense. And I think that <laughs> it, this, this conversation kind of helped me realize that that might be the divide on something like the Fourth Amendment, the Second Amendment, is not seeing it as a bulwark against that oppression. Right. Well, and I think, I think on the left, people don't see that because they because they think oh well the american government is, is is so strong the military is so strong they'll just drone strike you um you know they'll just come in with their tanks and their bombs etc and and i got to disagree there man because you throughout any civil war in history you've got to maintain public support and when you start drones we're mad enough at drone strikes in syria we're right. mad at at drone strikes in the middle east that are killing civilians when it's American civilians, man, the people you're trying to 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 maintain support from, mm-hmm. they don't get happy about that type of stuff. You know, the yeah. the evil good good evil rhetoric only goes so far. You know, if it starts being innocent civilians, you're bombing neighborhoods and stuff. Like shit can turn against you real quick. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, we look at look at things like the Bundy Ranch. Those guys held off federal officials for who knows how long with AR-15s. You know, it's it's. It's possible. And, and as, and as this, this rhetoric is ramping up from the left, I, I just don't get how these two things exist at the same time. Like, like, oh, there's this, this fascist government and right wing extremists that, that are turning violent, but turn in all your government, all all your guns to the government, uh, you know, while, while they're also at the same time saying the police force is is you know covered in and murdering people in the streets right yeah. is murdering people in the streets and 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 totally consumed by white supremacy and ethno nationalism like yeah. those two things don't can't exist at the same time it, yeah it yeah. creates such harsh cognitive dissonance in me that i'm i'm unable to get on board i'm yeah you know i'm uncomfortable with it i'm like how could you possibly uh, <laughs> you know? well it does it does raise a good question though like so what do for you personally like where is the line where it's time to start getting rowdy. Like where is, where is the line where it is perhaps maybe time to go from the hypothetical conversation into the, what are we going to do next? Well, it's a, it's a really hard question because you know, it goes back to being lobsters in the pot, right? The, mm-hmm. the heat is turning up so slowly um, that maybe, maybe I never see that line coming, you know, and I have excuses for the lines as they come, as they come. But I, I think we need to go straight to the declaration of independence um, for for some insight and some guidance, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And and that's pretty broad, right? I mean, yeah. in a lot of ways, that line's already been crossed to me. Um, Trump using executive power to, to build a wall yeah. uh, that does not have broad... Uh, consent among the population. Well, I, I, I'd say it hasn't been crossed because you're still sitting here. That's well, (laughs) right. Lobster in the pot, right? Lobster in the pot. That's what I'm saying. Um, and, and we're fighting back against that. You know what I'm saying? That, 
that executive order is being fought again. And that gives me hope. It gives me strength. Yeah. You know, you had 12 Republicans come out and say, like, nah, that's not going to fly. That's good. It's been it's been all Republican versus all Democrat all the way along Trump's presidency. And we're finally getting we're finally seeing some cracks in that and some breaks and some checks and balances. I like that. And yeah. it's not fair to say, you know, the 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 travel ban was challenged. Right. Um, we've had court challenges along the way that have that have brought some sanity uh, back to the process. But to, to go back to your question, like, I don't think any of us can honestly answer where that line is for us. All right, well, no, actually, I can I can do a pretty good job. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so um, as a hard line. All right. I can pretty much say that I would set prison camps or any suspensions or violations of the Bill of Rights. That's 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 my bar. And that's a that's a pretty good bar. <laughs> OK. Uh I think a lot of people on the left would say we've already got kids in prison camps. Uh, sure. You know, a lot of people would make that case. It's not the same when people are coming to you to be put in those camps versus you going into their home to put them in those camps. It's, okay. It's a little bit different. All right. Also, you know, uh, we have suspended, uh, within a hundred miles of the border. They are, the police are stopping people. And they are searching them with no warrants. Yeah. They have absolutely suspended have, parts of the Bill of Rights not, in the name of border security. I'm not making an argument. Okay, against, lobster in the no, pot. I'm not making an argument against your lobster thing, but there is a bit of a difference between abridging something or, you know, a, a limited area where this is happening and it going wide scale. We are opposing that, right? That's true. We're opposing that full heart. You have to leave room. For people for the, to have for the system to work, no, for people to have stupid ideas. Mm. So, like for instance, I would point out the the you know right now I think there's a huge movement to abolish the electoral college. I have a very specific opinion about that, which we're not going to go full throated into today. We'll save that for another episode. But getting rid of the electoral college, I have a pretty good feeling of where that's heading, mm. of where that takes us. But I have to allow them the room in a democracy for them to have their stupid idea. You know what I mean? Like, so I can't just like, I can't just fire off the guns and pull the pins on the grenade every time somebody has a stupid idea. I have to tolerate discussing laws that would subvert the Bill of Rights in some respects. Mm. And to tell you the truth, just like the Electoral College, if there is the, the by the Constitution amendment process to get rid of the Electoral College, then largely I will respect that. Sure. To, well, to a well degree. that falls in line to me with with consent of the governed. Right. I mean, if, right. if it happens within the institutions we've created, um, then arguably it's within consent of the governed uh, with with searches and seizures 100 miles from uh, from the borders. I don't think there's any consent of the governed there. Right. I think we're already far beyond the line in a lot of cases. And again, like I said, we're, we're pushing back on that. I mm. mean, I, I think there are people, there's enough people who agree with it for us to, you know, I mean, it's like civil forfeiture, right? I mean, civil forfeiture is a thing that has gone and gone on for quite some time. Now we see the Supreme court pushing back, sure. voting rights to felons. You know what I'm saying? I would think, or is kind of in contradiction yeah, with the constitution. Absolutely. Now we're seeing people, you know, push back on that. So, Basically, what it is, it's it's a it's a fine line. It is a it's a seesaw. You have to decide when is that moment. But if I have a government that says, you know what, man, like the Fourth Amendment, it's it's really not working. And they don't even have to say it as expressly as that. But if the government and the people are wantonly ready to get rid of the Fourth Amendment, then, yeah, it's time for me to go, you know, get my gun and let's let's get going. Yeah. Now, you also have to make that you have to make the consideration of how much 
ability to do I have to resist <laughs> with the, the rights that I have left, right? right so that right. makes it complicated. And going back to the amendment process, I would say what happens if we go through the amendment process and we decide to like abolish the Supreme Court or something, you know, for me, that's a biggie. Yeah. Right. So it, it so yeah, what happens when, when the systems we've set up, uh, result in tyranny themselves? Yeah. Like which that's, is, that's a problem. Which by the way, here's a, here's a quick preview. That's one of my big fears with the electoral college. But anyway, right. Uh, you, you look at something like Britain where, you know, there, there's, if you ask me spinning out of control with knives, Absolutely. And they're spinning out of control with their hate speech laws, but the people are on board. Yeah. So at what point are you the the crazy lone extremist <laughs> nut raging into the night? Well, that's you know? a good question. I think I think for for a lot of gun owners at least, uh, the line is pretty clear. You hear a lot of folks saying, if they come for my my guns, they're gonna get my bullets. Yeah. Um and I and I think I probably me included. Uh, the day that they show up with armed government forces to say, "Hey, buddy, turn in your turn in your rifle," like I think you're going to see a lot of people pushing back at that. You know, that's a line that you can't ignore. That's no longer lobster in the pot, right. the water turning up warmer and warmer. That's it's hot, buddy. Right? It's hot. <laughs> well, the question, I guess, that's the question. Then, like, do you have to give in in a democracy in America or whatever? Do you have to give the benefit of the doubt up to that point? Like, because any time before that, how do we know that you haven't, uh, you know, popped your cork too early? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, aren't you at risk of turning political discourse into, you know, a discourse? You know, if I'm if I'm can be violent, I can get my point across. If you haven't waited for one of those thresholds to be concretely passed, mm. you know what I mean? So it, it's it's really tough to sit back. And I'm going to say again allow people to have stupid ideas, but you, but you sort of have to, Yeah, you know, yeah. let me, let me ask you another good question. Could you imagine siding with the government against a rebellion? Well, that totally depends on, on who's in charge of the government, right? I mean, it goes back to the, to the Warren presidency, right? you right. know, uh, say, say we've got, uh, uh, Warren in power and you've got white nationalists riding Humvees and trucks with you know AR15s and AK47s in the back and they're and they're shooting up black neighborhoods and stuff. Yeah, yeah I'm siding with the government, dog. Right. Wholeheartedly. Like right. there's no question about that. Um if it's a if it's a Trump government that's uh that's you know take the guns first due process later, yeah. like nah, I'm not on board. And yeah. I, and I think that question that cuts to the heart of it for every American, right? Is like yeah. is like would you? Would you know who would you support? Where well, where do we fall on this spectrum? What made it what made it interesting when I when I considered that question was that it felt unnatural to me, right? Like so of course, yeah. I mean it's easy answer, right? I oppose Nazis. If the Nazis are rebelling against the government, then hell yeah, man, I'd support the government. And then I got to thinking about it and I'd be like, but I would I would still be the one like clocking the government. Mm. Like, hey, okay, now is everyone that you just rounded up and put into that camp a Nazi? Right. right? Why are we putting them in camps again? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, was (laughs) Fred just his uncle there at the barbecue? Exactly. Like, Like, what what exactly were the means by which you just searched this house to find that incriminating evidence? You know what I mean? So then, what happens in that world? You might as well be a part of the rebellion in that world. You know what I'm saying? Right. If you're the guy who's standing there and saying, hey, we do still have these civil liberties, 
that, that we have that are to worth respect. protecting and respecting. So it's very odd to me, and I'll you know freely admit that it's my bias, but yeah, like. And you, I, there you are come out, you're in danger of coming out as the Nazi supporter, that's right? right as that's the, right. There as the are white evils. Supporter. There are evils that clearly we need to stand against. You know what I'm saying? No, no question there. But being the person who sides with central authority is always going to be a weird fit for me. Always going <laughs> to yeah, be. Yeah, you've fit got for me. quite a strong streak of anti-authoritarianism <laughs> yeah. in you, for yeah. sure. So, all that being said, what do you think a civil war would actually look like if if it took place? And that's that's one of the things because what maybe it takes maybe it's the form of a rebellion or a revolution and then again maybe it's the form I, of like a civil war. I think what, it's what clear. I, I don't think we need to do uh, many hypotheticals here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the face of Trump saying, you know, I've got support in the military, I've got support in the police, I've got support uh, with the bikers. We talked about in our media episode, that's episode four, and, and you should definitely go back and listen to it. That. Um, that that media has a left wing bias, right? That right. more reporters, more editors, et cetera, et cetera, are are left leaning uh, by far than right leaning. I think the same thing applies to to the military and to police, um, and probably to biker gangs as well. Well, I would say yeah, no question that bikers for Trump are for Trump, but I would say we also had studies that kind of you know, that inform that about the journalists, like, are, do you have any sources? No, I'm, okay. I'm totally winking that. No, I don't have any sources for this. And and I looked for some, I tried to find, um, polls of the military. You're not going to find good data there. You're just not. I mean, well, we no, did I'm, find the 31% of officers, yeah. uh, you know, were in support of Trump, but overall, as far as like large reaching studies go, it just mm-hmm. wasn't there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not there, was, there for police. I, the military actually did, they, they pretty much got the military pick. Uh, fit, well, yeah, what no, was they, it fifty percent uh, so, roughly for uh, Trump? No, it was uh, enlisted men. It was something like forty percent. Okay, I think it was forty-two percent to be exact. I could be wrong, but what it basically ended up being was that it mirrored very much so the civilian population's uh, uh, support for Trump. Like basically, the less educated you were, the more you supported Trump. And I mean, <laughs> sorry, that's just what the well, stats correlation were. and causation. Yeah, yeah but. So. <laughs> But, saying, that's uh, what yeah. stats say. Be that as it may, but no, for for the sake of this, for the sake of this thought exercise, uh, right. I am just totally winging this. But okay. uh, what I can see it looking like um, as we inch closer to this fractured, divided America um, is that all the things we've talked about start snapping into focus. Right? Um, we can start seeing why militarization of police was such a bad idea. If we have fringe groups of police officers, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Southern mm. racist ass states that go, nah, we're taking our, our MRAP and our, and our fully automatic rifles. And, and we are enforcing the white nationalist, you know, ethno nationalist agenda in full. Like that's a scary place to be. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden it's militarized, armed, heavily armed police who are as armed as our military. Um, you know, starting insurgencies and it doesn't have to be huge. It starts as, you know, the way I see it, it starts as one city that starts as, as two cities and, and, and then Wyoming pops off and then, and then Iowa pops off, you know, and then all of a sudden you've got these pockets of insurgency of, mm-hmm. of straight up insurgency of, of, of cities, towns, um, saying, you know, blacks go home, get out of here, shooting people on site, um, execute, I, I don't think we're that far off. We've got a guy in New Zealand, you know, already killing people in a church. Like to to step from that to neighborhoods on home soil is not that far of a leap. We've got people shooting up clubs. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we're, we're not 
we're not that far. In fact, it's already started. Yeah. Like, well, no, I don't think it's already started. No. Well, I mean, I mean, you pretty much you. you okay, have, lobster in the pot. No, I mean, okay, but while you're clutching your pearls, um, these are basically unconnected. Uh, I mean, there is no central organizing theory. I mean, do you think that Alabama's getting ready to go into open revolt tomorrow? Dude, I, I don't know. With the rhetoric ramping up from Trump, with with Q supporters, Alabama's being, not getting ready to being go into radicalized. Open uh, well, come 2020, if Trump doesn't win the election and all of a sudden the he starts saying- The state of saying, Alabama is not going I, into open no, revolt. Maybe not as a state, yeah. but you don't see small pockets of Alabamians, Alabamanians. <laughs> Alabamans. <laughs> Alabamans, um, like getting so upset over the saying that the election's been stolen and and they're and, the, and now the Democrats are coming for our guns. And they are. They want to ban the assault rifles. Yeah. I, I, I don't think we're that far from seeing- pockets of violent insurgents now that i will i will go along with you on i think that there could be some form of insurgent like rebellion uh you know in the next few years should we continue on this course but that's that's a far cry from like open civil war you Mm -hmm. know and, and it's a lot different so like if trump's you know running the government then we're not talking about an insurgency. We're talking about a fascist government clampdown that we have to fight back against. Sure, if Trump, you know is, what I mean. Yeah. So, so we have to we have to be careful not to like take four or five different things and throw them all into a pot together and say, you know, this shit's gonna happen. So, could an insurgency happen? Sure. Yeah. No, I could absolutely see nutters. I could see, uh, you know, we we've seen the Freedman's Group, something like uh, Waco or Ruby Ridge, which you know, granted. There's things about Ruby Ridge, but anyway, long story short, <laughs> long story short, we could see, you know, these, these white nationalists kind of coalesce and kind of make their run. Now, how much purchase they get in America? I'm not sure. Right wing groups are, are notoriously well-armed, right? I mean, if you look at, at militia groups across the United States, again, I've got no sources for this, but I feel like it's common sense. There are not left wing militant groups in the United States. Like, the ones that are that are but prepping and and that are and that have you know millions of rounds of ammo and machine guns on their FFAs and stuff like but there doesn't have to be left wing militant groups to oppose those right wing militant groups. There has to be the government, unless it's Trump that's clamping down, which is right. a different story. That's a you different know what I'm story, right? So, so would the army be able to handle what these people have? By and large, I think yes. By well, and they, large, by and large, and, and here's the reason. Okay, so when I say you know, it, it is important for us to have a right to bear arms so that we can resist tyranny, right? Like what we're talking about is resisting tyranny. That's a pretty clear objective, a pretty, pretty clear goal that I feel like most people can get on board with, especially if they're seeing their people go to camps and stuff mm. or be put to death. But now when we're talking about an insurgency that's trying to rally people to a white ethno-nationalist cause, but, that's a completely different see, animal. The way I see it is that that, that white ethno-national cause would be much like, much like the Democrats are calling it now. It's under the surface. It's not, it's not outright, let's kill all the darkies. It's, it's, hey, the other side, you just have to build a big enough boogeyman on the other side. It's, hey, the other side are communists. They hate America. They're anti-patriots. They hate white people. They want to see you dead. And at yeah. that point, you're asking middle American white people to side with the boogeyman or seed a little bit on, you know, air a little bit on the side of, of whatever ethno-nationalism uh, rises and bubbles to the surface. I mean, you got your you got your Bannons. You've got the alt-right. You've got uh, Jared Taylor. Uh, who's the, who's the main alt-right guy? What I hate uh, it. Richard, Spencer. Uh, Richard Spencer, yeah. uh, you know, these people are, 
are in political power mm-hmm. on the right. Yeah. Um, it's kind of baked in. So if we're drawing the lines left and right, I don't see how you, es- I don't see how ethno-nationalism gets, gets stamped out. It's forever there. It's, 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 it's under, it's under the current, you know, it is not the mainstream, if you will, but it, but it doesn't disappear. And, and I think that you will see if, if we do head to violence, I think we will see those groups, um, kind of remain in powerful positions. Well, here's, here's a good question. Did Trump, did Trump's emergence, did it spawn new belief in, you know, in, in that sort of, uh, uh, dogma? Or did it take people who were quiet on the fringes and embolden them? Uh, see, I and I tend to I tend to skew towards the latter view, whereas for what you're talking about to take root and to become a a huge widespread crunch to leave the bounds of simply being an insurgency that we're and I'm not saying man, you know insurgencies look at look at Iraq, look at Afghanistan, look at Vietnam. I'm not saying they're not problems. I'm not saying people don't die. I'm not saying it's a desirable outcome by any means. I'm simply saying the next step to that of like wholesale support for those kinds of movements and ideals, which would be required to to create a civil war. Right. Right. And, and regardless of what sort of propaganda that they're putting out, I mean, I'm sure exactly. They're going to be running propaganda. There's no question about that, but I I don't see it happening because I don't see um, that, that there was new belief, you know, like I said with Trump, I don't see new people signing up when I look at, you know, various polls and stuff. We seem to be trending away from racism, not See, towards it. I, I think you're right. And the funny thing is that, <laughs> yes, I believe that that we as a country are getting less racist. I think it is less socially acceptable to be a racist today than it was 50 years ago. I think that's evidenced yeah. by the fights we've waged and and the battles we've already won uh, to, to, to restore civil rights uh, in whatever ways we have uh, to black people. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think we are still making steps. I mean, you look at things like Black Lives Matter. They have they have tons of support. Um, you know, they have popular. So the Women's March, two million people. There are only you know four hundred people at the at the Charlottesville March. Yeah, right. Um, so so yes, I don't think it's popular. But when you look at a Republican president who, by all the rhetoric from the other side, is held up to represent white nationalism, he still has support. He had enough support to get elected. He did. So so. To me, that's evidence of this is already going on. So why would it change if 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 we're adding violence to the equation? Like, well, let me ask you this: Do people you... tacitly support it because they don't believe it. You know, the people who still support Trump and aren't racists uh, right. or aren't overt racists, they explain away all of the things. You know, they they give the benefit of the doubt. And I think as long as a government, a right wing government, is able to maintain that wall, that benefit of the doubt that you're not going to see any trouble. People yeah. will have no trouble getting on board and still holding, you know, anti-racist beliefs. Yeah. But my, my argument to you would be that it is a lot harder to maintain that wall of the benefit of the doubt in a post-Nazi world. Mm. And it's a lot harder to maintain that benefit of the doubt once you put a gun in somebody's hand and say, you're going to have to kill them who have been your neighbors for I don't know how long because they support the other I, side. I agree. Like it, all of a sudden that, that wall starts to thing. drop. You right. know what I mean? So so I get what you're saying and I have worries. Don't get me wrong. There was an event in Cincinnati this week and it was Bannon. Bannon went and he had this event and you know it was about open borders and immigrations. I guess he's like touring the country doing these rallies and stuff. And actually the first story that came out about this event 
was how just laughably low the attendance was, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. The bad thing is a woman got up during this thing and they were doing like Q and a and was talking to Bannon and she no shit said, I've never thought that I would see a day in my life where I would support a dictator. But if I did, it'd be Donald Trump. Oh my God. And, and it's this is how we get Duterte, it's man. It chills down my spine, man. It's scary as hell. I get what you're saying. I just don't think in the main, we're ready to walk down that road. The question is, does it, does it require the main, you know, I mean, insurgencies in, in Middle Eastern countries, I, I don't have numbers again, but yeah. I mean, are we talking 10% of the population well, support it, ISIS? You know it, what I'm saying? Does it require like, it to do what? To, to cause terror, to destroy a country, to pull a country hey, apart. Man, I mean, it, it, to pull, well, to pull it apart. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like violence can happen again. We could have, you could have a situation where, and uh, I will go north since we've talked a lot about the South. You could have a situation where Montana, South Dakota, and North Dakota are like no-go zones. You know, you got hot, it's like Fallujah, right? Like where the insurgency is kind of, they're sitting on Bismarck, South Dakota, and, and you know, that's the way it is until we eventually push them out. Don't forget that we also push them out of Fallujah. And yes, they're still there. I'm not saying that all this rhetoric and stuff can't create a situation where we have to learn to live with the fact that there are violent extremists in the hills, that that is an unfortunate possible consequence. However, them gaining control or, or tearing apart the United States of America, they've got a ways to go before they're anywhere near that. That's true. But I feel like, I feel like we're just, you know, with this argument, I feel like you're just calling calling a rose something else. You know what I'm saying? Well, is it a civil war or is it insurgency? Like, I, it all looks the same to me. And, and maybe I'm not. No, it's, being... it's most certainly not, man. And that's actually, you know, that quote that you put uh, in the paper earlier uh, from the guy on Fox News where he said, we're in a civil war. There was a veterans group that came out and was like, I can't believe we have to say this. But no, we're in nothing anywhere near approaching a civil war. Yeah, you don't need to buy guns. We're not fighting. (laughs) Yeah, these were people who were over in Afghanistan and Iraq or, you know, in Somalia and have seen the things that are going on over there. You know, we we got a lot of rhetoric going on. But but let me give you a for instance. There was, and I've cited this on the show before, in 1970, there in what, 69 to 70 or 70 to 71, there was an 18-month period where there was something like five bombings a day holy in America. Shit. The FBI cataloged five bombings a day. It was uh, 2,500 bombings on American soil. And a lot of those came from you know groups like the Weather Underground and stuff like that. Mm, we this was seen, like in response to Vietnam? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Vietnam, Nixon, all that stuff. You know, A lot of it was leftist groups. I'm, in that 2,500 number, there was no breakdown. I'm just saying like the Weather Underground was bombing things. This, right. uh, what is it? The Symbionese liberation front was bombing things back then and largely those bombings were of like businesses that were closed down the actual like uh, casualties were very low i think uh the biggest the biggest kill count in any one attack was like four people who happened to be in the building but we could very right. much look at these groups as insurgent groups right and not categorize it as a civil war is what right. you're saying and, well and what i'm saying is is like yeah, we made it through like we've seen mm. a level of violence that in my opinion five bombings a day is greater than, huge. than what we're experiencing right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and we've made it through. Like, these things will happen. There will be, you know, uh, uprisings and revolts and people who are dissatisfied. But, but, the, but the idea that it becomes like a, a, a warish hellscape 
is is different. And I don't want to I don't want to strawman your point, but do you see what no, I'm saying? No, no, I, I, wanna, I think I you do. No, that you, line. yeah, you do yeah. have a point because you know engaging in hyperbole isn't healthy. Yeah. Um, you know, and labeling a, a small scale insurgency as a civil war, maybe that's it's going over the line. Maybe <laughs> yeah. I'm not given enough, uh, you know, enough respect to to what the civil war itself in America actually entailed. Yeah. And how many people died? Oh, yeah. Um, and and the scale and the level of 20, violence uh, that we're 24, talking about. Twenty four thousand in one day at Antietam. That's a lot of people, man. That's a lot of people. So touche. I see. I see your point. I think. I think in the end, I think what's what's much more likely to happen to us is that we're going to continue this this just unfortunate progression, this sad rolling over where we give up right after right after right. And unfortunately, I do think that, again, because I have to let people have stupid ideas, that it's going to be very tricky for me to know that this is the moment to run out in the street. But, you know, that's, that's going to be the hard part. And unfortunately, I think it's designed that way. Mm. I, I think, think fortunately. I think... No, 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 no. I'm saying I think and I think the reason we're not going to have a giant blow up civil war is because it's much easier for the government to acquire power by slowly taking rights and slowly and, getting <laughs> and consolidating power all the way to the point where it doesn't matter anymore. And, and if no. you look at if you look at history, the last, you know, 40, 50 years, we have been on schedule. It swings left and we lose some rights. It swings, it swings right, right and, we, and we, we lose some rights. And right. it's the one that's it's the ones that the left likes and it's the ones that the right likes. And, yep. you know, as it's swinging, we all just kind of lose. We hardly ever seem to get them back, though. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it takes takes incredible feats of effort and and and. Supreme Court decisions. Um, we we talked about some ways we we got them back today. So yeah, yeah. you know it's possible. It does now, happen. All that being said, Trump is crazy, man. <laughs> and in the 2020 elections, like I can definitely see a scenario where he disputes the results of the elections. That's to say nothing of. Uh, the thing I that scares him, me more I can than, see him like holding on to his chair like a fifth grader, like kicking and screaming while the Secret Service is like lifting up his chair yeah, yeah. and escorting him from the Oval Office. I'm here. He's I'm, got his arms at the at the the, the door, you know, yeah. like holding on to the door frame as he's being pushed. No, no. I'm here to tell you right now, uh, anything approaching the financial collapse or the financial crisis, sorry, in 2008 or whatever, Oof. would be an absolute catastrophe under Trump. Uh, with where we're at with the Reddit, all bets are off. And then at that point, maybe the states do go to war, bro. <laughs> I, I, you know what I'm saying? I don't know because, you know, uh, there's a tendency when things start to break down like that, people get insane and, they do. and people start doing crazy things. Well, anytime you have uh, massive populations getting hungry. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we have major problems. And I could see, I mean, you talk about new, a city like New York, man. Uh, they've got one day's supply of fresh food in New York at any given point. Yeah. If those trucks stop coming into New York, yeah, it's 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 over for New York. You right. know, they're they're smushed in the like rats in yeah. cages. You know, arm to arm, shoulder to shoulder. Uh, that food's gone. And and what would it take? You know, bombing a couple bridges. Yeah, that's and true. and it's over. That's I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a large portion of of uh, of people trapped in New York with no food. It, that's it's scary. Yeah, it's, yeah. That that is the thing is that we have reached a point where it is it is you know in good faith I can't say that you're just being crazy saying that you envision this scenario anymore. That's a shame. I should be able to. I should be able to say you're a crackpot. Yeah. This is never going to happen. You know, but. This is where we're at right now, man. And we got to We got to do something to ratchet this back because I, I see very few ways 
from our current standpoint, that a civil war or a revolt uh, uh, benefits us in the long run. Like, mm-hmm. right? So maybe we're we're casting off the the yoke of oppression or something like that, and that's all well and good. But when I look around at where we're at and the maturity level of the conversations that we're having, I think it's very very likely that we end up having some sort of reign of terror. Or, you know, some of the some of the worst parts of, you know, like reconstruction and stuff like that, where the the side that emerges victorious puts its boot straight on the neck of the other side. And there's a great chance that we end up in a worse place than where we were to begin with. Agreed. Uh, And speaking of boot to neck, it's come to that part of the show where fact checker extraordinaire Beanzo down with Beanzo (laughs) comes through and finds all the ways we messed up on our facts and figures. although. Weren't a lot of facts and figures today. I'm um, all for toppling Beanzo, yeah. Let, let's see what Beanzo's got today. Beanzo? You fellas raised a lot of tough questions today. Perhaps none so hard to answer is what exactly your point was. Did theory say don't freak out until there's more than five bombings a day, or did sense say Alabama's seceding tomorrow? Nevertheless, it's my job to sort through this seditious claptrap or thought experiment and correct your numerous mistakes while I also highlight your irresponsible rhetoric. But yeah, I'm the asshole. Okay, well this asshole would like to point out that the armed service member poll on Trump showed 44% favorability, not 40 or 42. Classic point-shaving theory. Since, you may be surprised to learn that a church isn't a mosque. I mean, anyone who cares enough to spend a modest amount of time learning about other cultures isn't, but then again, you may very well be. I believe you both said at the end that destroying a couple bridges could cripple New York and starve its citizens into revolt. Maybe in a world where boats, helicopters, and the Berlin airlift weren't a thing, I suppose you'd be right. Maybe it's that hypothetical reality where you boys do in fact have thousands of listeners. All I know is the blueberry stats say it ain't this one. Now, if you're done cutting through the bias and extremism by having Theory try to justify his biases and since start advocating for extremism, I'd like to get back to the only civil war that matters. Death to the storm cloaks. Fellas, back to you. Oh, Beans, you're such an asshole. It, it's a tough topic, man. I mean, that, that that's that's what we were getting at. I, I wasn't mean, saying any states are it's, seceding. Yeah, it's it, a hypothetical. And, and yeah, we should probably definitely freak out before there are five bombings a day. Yeah, th- that's the thing. It's like trying to find that that proper balancing point. It's It's really tough on this one, but... You know, thanks for just reducing it down and making us sound like idiots. I really appreciate it. He's really good at but, that. <laughs> but seriously, folks, uh, y- you know, we, we got to find a way to kind of ratchet everything back. Because one thing that is true is that if we're at each other's throats, that puts all of us at more danger of something crazy happening before we can get a hold. That's of it. right. At the same time, no one wants to be the lobster in the pot uh, that gets boiled and doesn't realize before it's too late. No, um, So I feel like we do need to keep a watch um, on, on our government officials and make sure they're serving our purposes and not some nefarious purposes. No, you're, you're absolutely right. So all of us just have to find a way to strike that balance, you know, try to get everybody to calm down, chill out, ease back. It's, it's, it's not the end of the world, not time to speak breathlessly and stuff. At the same time, though, keep your eye out for those guideposts, those signs that are going to tell us when it's time to move. Yeah, I tell you what, man, if Tay says it's go time, it's go time, baby. Uh, Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
Hey folks, it's Sense, one-third of the Sense and Theory podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, check us out at senseandtheorypodcast.com, where you'll find links to all our social media. You can reach out to us on Facebook, argue with us on Twitter, or send us an angry email. But just knowing you guys are out there keeps us going. If you really enjoy the show, hit up patreon.com slash senseandtheory and chip in a buck or two for coffee, beer, and this server bill that keeps going up with every subscriber we get. Even if you can't afford to give your monetary support, we'll be here cutting through the bias and extremism to try and find some common ground about things that matter.